With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome in, friends, to the Jazz Mill broadcast, a celebration of all things jazz, featuring the great music of and interviews with some of the hottest singers and players on the planet. As always, your calls and feedback are welcome. Now, your host, Scott Henderson. Yes, siri, Bobcat Tail. Welcome in, jazz lovers, to the Jazz Mill Podcast. Hey, here's a fun fact for you. Did you know that researchers at Oxford University recently found a correlation between high IQ and those who dig jazz? And that the more people listen to jazz, the smarter they became, which is very good news for a guy like me. Uh, on top of that, the overwhelming majority of jazz lovers floss daily. They change their motor oil every 3,000 miles, and they're also kind to small animals. Uh, like the man says, I'm your host, Scott Henderson. For about the next hour or so, we're going to do our level best to entertain you with great music and great interviews with the hottest players, singers, composers, and authors on the planet. As always, we invite your calls at 515 515- 602-9600. That's 515-602-9600. Or you can make some new friends in our chat room if you care to. Uh, hey, well, let's punch up my jazz mill cohort, Greg Rockingham, who has been keeping the beat since he was about five years old. He is an alumnus of the prestigious Interlochen Arts Academy and Northeastern University. He's worked with everyone from Glenn Miller to Steely Dan. Presently, he plays with the Soul Message Band, and uh, they are the hottest B3 combo east of the Mississippi, in my humble opinion, can be heard weekly at Chicago's historic Green Mill and elsewhere in the Chicagoland area. Welcome in, G-Rock. How are you, friend? I'm really good. I'm really good. Nice to talk to you. And hello, Scott. Uh, let me get that in before Scott is uh, he, along. He, he is he is he is looming. He is looming. He is on deck, and he is excited. I think to be here, we, we couldn't be more excited. Uh, talk about a great guest. He's uh, Scott Yano. We're we're referring to, and he is the quintessential jazz author, historian, and reviewer. You've seen his names if you are a student or, or a lover of jazz. He's authored. 12 books on the topic. He's written over 900 liner notes, more than 20,000 reviews, and countless interviews with the masters of the genre. So today and next week at the same time, we're going to take a deep dive into his latest book, Life Through the Eyes of a Jazz Journalist, which uh, I heartily recommend. It is a fast read, and uh, I can tell you it is loaded with wonderful anecdotes and uh, all kinds of things that will interest uh, folks that would uh, take to this show. Uh, Scott, welcome in, friend. How are you? Well, fine, fine. Thanks, thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're 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 excited, and uh, I ask this uh, r- rhetorically 
how is it possible that a man who's dedicated most of his adult life to the furtherance of jazz was born on a day when not even a single jazz recording uh, took place, according to Tom Lord's discography? Can, can you figure that out for me? Well, I, I guess that way had to hide my I don't know. Well, it's funny. I look up that date, October 4th, in 1950. Yeah, fuck, nothing took place. It's weird. <laughs> well, they left space for you, I guess is the idea there. Uh, might, might, might be one way to look at that. Uh, no, boy, what a contribution you have made. I mean, you have uh, shaped opinion, and uh, you, have, you have informed, and you have uh, it, it created interest, and you've certainly helped grow this music. And that's one of the great... Uh, things that we hope to accomplish with uh, the Jazz Mill broadcast is just bringing jazz to more people, uh, good jazz. And uh, I know uh, it, it's it's your opinion that I think you once said uh, that you listen to all kinds of music as long as it's uh, jazz. Uh, so I, I, I'd ask you uh, to, to maybe talk a little bit, if you would, just to kind of uh, go back before we go forward, uh, talk a little bit about the early uh, the early days, uh, your early exposures to jazz. For a lot of us, it was on television. We'd get little glimpses, and uh, and then you know uh, more and more we became interested. But if you wouldn't mind talking about that, and 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 maybe uh, a little bit about uh, you know the, uh, the the strictly from Dixie show that I know was helpful to you. Oh, sure. Well, you know, I didn't really hear much jazz at all until I was almost 16. I mean, I, I saw the movie The Five Pennies, which was a a, red, a movie on Red Nickel's life that Danny had Danny Kaye playing the lead part and Louis Armstrong in it. And I loved the the uh, joy of jazz that was, that was throughout the movie. But beyond that, I really didn't hear any until I happened to discover that through uh, – a notice in the Los Angeles Times that there was a Dixieland show on the radio from 5 to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday, and I really can't imagine that being true today, you know, where the whole hour was just uh, taken up by New Orleans chairs, yeah. and I started listening right. to that, and within a few days, you know, I really just loved it, because it's like the world's happiest music, and so I, I pretty much got yeah. to to that, and, and that's, that was the start for me. Yeah, and, and a good one it was. You you seem to uh, make a case in the book uh, about uh, listening to, to old older jazz or formative jazz or Dixieland jazz first uh, as as a person gets acquainted with the with the genre. Yeah, uh, more to add to that. Well, that's that's just how it happened to work for me because I went from that to 1920s jazz and then swing and and then getting through the door of bebop you know, through Charlie Parker. But, yeah, yeah, most people, of course, discover jazz through something that's much more modern. I mean, they would have gotten into it. Maybe they listened to rock and they got into it from fusion, which, you know, say Return to Forever, yes. Weather Report, or, or or something that's more recent. So, yeah. It's me that I am going through it chronologically. Yeah, the the uh, I think uh, you know, it, it, arguably, it's a little it's a little easier to the ear, uh, a little more consumable, perhaps. Dixieland is its tempos are uh, pretty easy to follow, and uh, a lot, lot of the tunes are uh, you know pretty pretty uh, hummable and memorable, and uh, I think it can be a nice way to kind of get your feet wet as you inch your way towards uh, some of the more complicated modern jazz stuff. I think. 
Uh, and Greg, you'd probably agree that that's where you know some people don't seem to uh, uh, hang with jazz. They they get a they get an earful of Coltrane or uh, somebody that's playing a lot of complicated stuff with complicated uh, time signatures, and and they're like, well, that's not for me. I couldn't make any sense of it. So uh, they throw their hands up, and I think uh, it takes a special patience to muscle your way through some of that stuff. And I include myself, by the by. Uh, but, hey, let's listen. Uh, uh, you had a good suggestion, Scott, as we were preparing for this show. We're going to give you an example. Uh, people hear Dixieland all the time, but uh, what does that sound like? So we're going to give you a quick example of that.
nice. Oh, that's good stuff. Makes your toe tap, doesn't it, guys? Uh, that uh, Eddie Condon and and his band, and uh, you hear that little drum lick at the, the end there, Greg. I bet that made you made, made you happy. Uh, good yeah, stuff. And uh, yeah, if you don't if you don't like that, I'm going to politely refer to your to your physician. You know, uh, goodness gracious, that's just uh, universally interesting and fun. Uh, so from there, Scott, uh, you you uh, you were off to college, and uh, you, you happened to, to be uh, on a dorm, uh, had a dorm room amid a bunch of musicians, and uh, they exposed you and uh, to other types of jazz, modern jazz and other types. And uh, before you knew it, you found yourself editor of a newly formed uh, magazine, The Record Review. Uh, uh, how did that uh, all come about, if you don't mind telling us that story? Oh, sure. Uh, well, I had a friend in college, who Brian Ashley, who thought it'd be a great idea to have a, a new magazine, a music magazine that covered rock, country, jazz, and classical music. So, uh, you know, the original idea was, well, we'll sell it for 10 cents and we'll make a millions. But, of course, distributors uh-huh. didn't really want that. But, but, but after, you know, in 1970s, early 1977, you decided to take a chance, put it out, and uh, it's called Record Review, and I was the jazz editor, so I basically started it at the top, and I just reviewed whatever, at that time, LPs that came out, you know, that looked interesting, and it gave me me a lot of experience. I did that for seven years before, when I could see that the the end was coming near for Record Review, that I sent out these reviews to other magazines, and, you know, pretty much accelerated from there. Yeah, and uh, uh, across the spectrum, uh, you you built a uh, a name for yourself, Scott. And uh, I want to read, if you'll if you'll indulge me. Uh, I think it's your first review. You reviewed a Cedar uh, Walton Hank Mobley uh, tune called uh, Breakthrough. If you if you remember that, uh, it says here these are your words. Breakthrough brings back memories of a famous jam, the famous jam sessions of the 50s. Uh, five very underrated musicians have recorded an album that not only looks back 15 years, but also looks ahead to the future. Uh, the title track, Breakthrough, is a summary of the 50s. After the melody is stated, Charles Davis begins a long, only slightly modernized baritone solo straight from that decade. Then comes Hank Mobley. Listen to the Charlie Parkerish licks. The rhythm section is very present, but not intruding. During his spectacular solo, Sam Jones sounds very much like Ray, Ray Brown during this segment. When Mobley concludes, Cedar Walton plays his expert imitation of Bud Powell. So, you know, clearly, uh, you knew your stuff uh, even then, uh, uh, Scott. I mean, you had you had a great command of uh, language, composition, and, and player comparison, and uh, all very impressive. And uh, for that to be your first work, uh, you must have known you were on to something. Well, I knew I loved I loved the music and wanted to help it. You know, that's that's always been the yep. goal to to increase the audience and to uh, you know get and also. For my own sake, just getting to hear everything—that—that's been the goal. You know, I wanted to get every good jazz record and, and have a chance to actually hear it. So I'm still working on that. <laughs> yeah, but, I hear you. Yeah, basically, I'm just a record collector, really, at heart, and I just wanted to hear, you know, the best music by the best players. Yeah, and you probably had access to. Uh, I know you have a record collection that is enviable. Uh, what would you guess it's up to at this point? I know it was over 5,000 at one point. 
Oh, five thousand. <laughs> well, that, that was a long time ago. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I, have, I, I have the exact number. I have the exact number written down. Some, you know, because it changes <laughs> hourly, it seems. But, right. but between, but, but the CDs and LPs, it's over sixty-four thousand. That's incredible. That's incredible. Well, that may be the foremost collection in North America, maybe in the world for that matter. Now, that's very cool, and I'm sure you keep them all in a safe place. Let's hope you do. Uh, it, it occurs to me that um, the the uh, skills – there are skills in common when you're writing reviews and uh, liner notes and articles, uh, but would you agree that uh, interviewing an artist is a whole other kettle of fish. Uh, it just seems like it's a, it's quite a different uh, uh, set of skills required. Would, would you agree with that? Well, you know, there's a certain amount of skills involved. You know, you just want to prepare beforehand. You want to have an idea what the you know of the artist's work, and also, you know, when you do the interview, you want to keep it open. You know, in case they come up with a different idea or take it in a different direction, then you know, let them yep. talk, and then and then you know, you you have to sort of have an idea what you want out of the interview. If it's based on their life story or if it's based on the newest record, you know, the, the basic part of the plot of the interview, you have that idea in mind beforehand. But then you know, you let it be yep. open and improvise to a certain extent. Absolutely. Think on your feet. Uh, the follow-up questions. You mentioned a few that you felt uh, particularly good about, uh, enjoyable to you. I think uh, Freddie Hubbard was among them uh, that you talk about in uh, Life Through the Eyes of a Jazz Journalist. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that uh, discussion. The interview was kind of funny. You know, actually, I put three long interviews in from the 70s in the book, you know, Freddie Hubbard's yes. career and Maynard Ferguson. And the reason I put him in is because it really shows their personalities. In the case of Freddie Hubbard, uh, it's, fu- it's funny because, you know, I interviewed him at Columbia Records and he was supposed to be talking about his new album, but he doesn't, he didn't like his new album. <laughs> so basically oh. he was cutting down, <laughs> he was cutting down the producer, Bob James and saying, oh, I'm not going to do a record like this again, you know, which I'm sure, you know, the Columbia executives <laughs> really, really yeah, liked I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, you know, I got him to talk about the topics that he didn't normally talk about, like you know, being a roommate with Eric Dolphy and and being on Orna Coleman's Free Jazz, and you know, what did he remember about Coltrane? And in addition to Art Blakey and Max Roach and many of the other players in the '60s, who he, he happened to play with, and he he was happy with that. It's just funny because you know, you get him talking about his current stuff, and he he was saying, "Oh, that's good," you know. <laughs> You know, he was yeah, yeah. He too complimentary. And, and the joke is, you know, he said, oh, I'm not going to do a record like that again. And then his next few records for Columbia were pretty similar. <laughs> oh, no so he, kidding. He yeah, didn't follow his own advice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, they might have, some of the execs might have had something to say about it. Who knows? But, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. That's really interesting. The, the uh, uh, You mentioned Maynard Ferguson a second ago. Greg, I know you uh mentioned a while ago that you had a Maynard Ferguson uh, uh, call it a run-in or an experience. Uh, you care to share that with us? Yes. Uh, uh, kind of doesn't uh, compare to what uh, the story that uh, Scott uh, Yanow is, is talking about right now, but I'll go ahead. I went to uh, high school with at Interlocking with two of Maynard Ferguson's kids, Um Bentley was one kid, and then a daughter named Kim Ferguson. And 
what was tragic about the story with Bentley, of course, when 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 everyone found out that Maynard Ferguson's son was coming to uh, uh, interlocking, uh, uh, all the trumpet players were oh couldn't wait to meet him and just all excited about it. But the sad part uh, was Bentley didn't play trumpet and he was just beginning uh, to play trumpet, but there was so much pressure on him. Uh, and afterwards, he mm. ended up uh, committing suicide, and that was oh, such geez. a sad story. Uh, yeah. Kim Ferguson, she, she she fared better, and she even managed Maynard's uh, band for a while. But then years later, we did a jazz cruise, and I even someone from the jazz showcase sent this picture. But uh, uh. I, I you know I told man I went to kids with his school. I mean went to school with his kids. And then we sat yep. one night, like in the corner of the ship somewhere, and him and I just talked all night long. And I, uh, uh, it was just an incredible to be in the company of, of someone like that. But he was extremely nice. His band, uh, that particular band was the smaller, uh, like I think it was called the Nouveau, or it was a little bit smaller than a big band, but... Uh, I see. He was just incredible to talk to and very, very down to earth and, and nice. And we just sat and talked and he just answered every question. And he leaned over to his wife and said, hey, he went to school with Tim and Bentley. And it was just a wonderful <laughs> conversation. But a sad yeah, story about, like about Bentley, you know. Yeah, that's yeah. a sad, sad, sad chapter for sure. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting, uh, Scott, and we've talked to a lot of people. You do, too, more, way more. But. Uh, it's a great league of gentlemen and ladies uh, are the jazz players out there. Uh, the composers and the artists uh, are, is what we're finding. And uh, you, you among them, uh, I know there are others uh, beyond three that you mentioned here. I know you had, uh, you had a sit down with, uh, with, with Steve Allen, who was a prolific songwriter. Uh, what was that like? Oh, it was it was kind of funny because he, it's like he wrote the article for me. He he, you know, some people talk in complete sentences. He he talks in complete yeah. paragraphs. So he give you the, he give you the entire story, you know, and yeah. you wouldn't want to change a word because it's there. Right. Now, right. Steve Allen. Steve Allen was kind of fascinating because he he's probably wrote more songs than just about anybody in the world. Ever yeah, I've read because, that. You know. He, he would have contests where people would bet him he couldn't write a hundred songs in a month, and he would do it. But of course, you know, yeah. he also wrote more for, more forgotten songs than anybody because he only had one hit. <laughs> you know, you know, this could be the start of something <laughs> big. Right. Uh-huh. So, so uh-huh. if he, goes, he, he wrote. He, he probably wrote you know fifty thousand songs, and forty nine thousand were forgotten immediately. <laughs> but, yeah. But, but, he, <laughs> but but no, he was brilliant. You know, he he had so many different talents, and and he loved yeah. jazz, and he. He featured jazz on his shows in the fifties, you know, on TV. Yeah. And in the sixties, he had Terry Gibbs as his, as his band leader and on his shows. And he, yep. and he would be part of the show rather than just doing one song or something. They, they would be right. playing, uh, they would be playing things behind the guests quite often. And sometimes they'd be. That was quite a big innovation, so, wasn't it, uh, Scott? I mean, to, I don't know. There may not have been other shows doing that. Uh, certainly, uh, he was uh, one of the great 
thinkers. Uh, I've always, I've, not always, but I, I thought he would be a good guy to, if you had to pick somebody from our, our, our history to have dinner with, I bet you Steve Allen would be a fun guy to, fun guy to cozy up with. Uh, Dave Brubeck was another one that, that, that you seem to, to uh, have a lot to say in the book about. Uh, tell, tell us there uh, what, what your experiences were, please. Well, he was one of the nicest guys, you know, him, Clark Terry, and Louis Belson, and a few others, which was, you know, just really, yeah. really kind people. And, and in the case of Dave Brubeck, I mean, he certainly didn't need the publicity. I, I was uh, interviewing him for Jazz Is, and, you know, he'd been famous for 45, 50 years already, and, but, but he was just so nice. He answered all the questions, and, and afterwards, after after the article came out, he sent me like two letters thanking me for it, and he also got, gave me a phone call and you know thanked me. And he didn't usually do any of that because everybody knew who Dave Brubeck was, but he was just yeah. that was just how he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good guy, and uh, a lot of his uh, sons, I think, uh, played with him uh, in, in some of the uh, later years. Uh, that's when I saw him uh, in South Florida. He, and, couple of the sons were, were, were playing different instruments in the band and what a, what a beautiful show they, they, they did, uh, still, still had plenty of game left. That was for sure. Um, well, yeah, as again, it, it just confirms, you know, my, my, uh, belief that, that, uh, most of these guys are, are just terrific. Uh, you know, I'm going to ask you, uh, they couldn't have all gone smoothly. Uh, there must've been a clinker or two in there. Uh, would you mind talking a little bit about ones that uh, were a little bit uh, uh, awkward? Let's use that word. Well, well you know, there, there are times when they want to talk about a particular topic and it had nothing to do with what the article was going to be. And, you know, it's yeah. kind of, you know, I mentioned that in the book. I mean, Stanley Jordan only wanted to talk about computers, and this was 25, 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah. So it would have been way out yeah, of date. Yeah. And, and uh, and Abdullah Ibrahim only wanted to talk about religion, so that didn't go very long either. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but, but you know what he yeah. Right, right. Yeah, you did. You cut. You well, well. I think I have enough here for the article, right? Uh, it, it, uh, the, yeah, I, I just imagine it's just a numbers game, right? But if you do enough of them, you're gonna get you're gonna get mostly good, but you're gonna get a couple in there that um, you know make you make you wonder, but. Um, in the interest of time here, Scott, I want to make sure that we that we get to you know some of the festival work that you have done. I think that'll take us kind of to the roughly the halfway point in our in our our, our two part series here. But I want to play. Uh, an example, you know, people listening to this, not all of them have our, you know, depth of understanding of, uh, you know, what is modern jazz, what's uh, what's Dixieland, all that. I want to give an example uh, of a Parker tune, uh, Charlie Parker, uh, great horn player, uh, as covered here by a guy named Monty Alexander, who you're probably familiar with, Scott. I know, Greg, you are. Uh, but he does a beautiful version uh, that I'll play for you uh, called Now is the Time. Thank you. 
that's how we do that. Uh, <laughs> fun stuff. We are visiting with Scott Yanow, the reviewer, historian, extraordinary, has a new book out, which I heartily recommend, Life Through the Eyes of a Jazz Journalist. It is loaded with great anecdotes, make a great stocking stuffer, and we're going to be giving uh, one away each week as we head up to the to the, the big day, Christmas Day. And uh, if you're the first person to retweet our show link after broadcast on Twitter, uh, we will see that you get an autographed copy from uh, uh, Scott Yano himself. So, uh, Scott, now I, I teased the, uh, the the festival work that you have done. I, I think you may hold the record for the most consecutive years covering the Playboy Jazz Festival uh, at, at 41. Is that is that the number? Uh, yes, yes. And, and, and could could you share some of your some of your uh, some of your re- recollections there? I know I know you made a grand entrance one time uh, that, that you described in the book that uh, made me laugh hard. Oh <laughs> well, you know I've been to every every single Playboy Festival, so I, I guess that I would have to, at worst, you know, tie the record with somebody. But no, <laughs> they, yeah, they, right. they, they used to have. They used to have a press conference at the Playboy Mansion, like in, in April, in March or April of a, a few months before the festival took place. And so, you know, one year I, I went, you know, I was really first time I was invited, and I went there in my old broken down car, and you know, couldn't couldn't wait to go. And then, then I get there, and there was a bump in the road, and I went over it, and immediately the, the muffler fell out of my car, and it was pouring rain. So. <laughs> So, so, but, but you know, I didn't want to, you know, so much, you know, so much of being overconfident. So, so I just, I just pulled the muffler out from the ground, put it in the back seat, and then, you know, just parked as if nothing happened. Because I was a little, little flooded, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, I would you know. imagine. Uh, you got to, these are, listen, you got to do what you got to do, right? Uh, we've all had that car. I, I want to say, uh, you mentioned you, you had, I think your first car, did you say in the book, uh, was a Chevy Vega? And if that's true, uh, I, I, we are we are uh, uh, brothers from another mother. Uh, is that true? Yeah, yeah, that was true, you know, and it lasted about three what, years. <laughs> what, what color, what color was it? Oh, it was kind of. A kind of tan, tan. Yeah, it, 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 I think we had the no, same. Nothing, nothing I think we had the same Vega. I think we had the same Vega, Scott. And uh, mine well, I hope you ended had up. With uh, <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that. Uh, it ended up uh, uh, burning up. I don't know. I had some sort of a fuel line leak, and and I got out of it just in time to watch it go up in a in a big <laughs> big flaming heap. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think I got about a year out of it. And then uh, that oh. paved the way for me to uh, – <laughs> you'll get a kick out of this. Uh, I went on from the uh, the Chevy Vega, uh, maybe even worse, I'm not sure, to the AMC Pacer. Do you remember the Pacer? Just vaguely. You know, I was – I was Yeah, it was – really. Yeah, well, it was a mess. It was uh, – it, again, was not particularly sound mechanically. Uh, Greg, you may remember the Pacer. But it was all windows, and living in South Florida, uh, you don't want all windows in your car because it, 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 it's like a solar collector on wheels. But uh, uh, I had a little better luck with that, uh, mechanically speaking. But uh, I digress. Um, 
So I want to ask you, uh, there's always a debate in my mind, uh, you know, where are the lines between, uh, as as we finish up with you, Scott, where are the lines between jazz and pop and rock? And uh, with my wife, I came up last night with a few artists that, uh, you know, I kind of have in my head as as tweeners, uh, you know, depending on what they're uh, playing or uh, uh, covering or whatever, uh, could be considered a uh, an artist that could you know have a foot in each genre, say rock and roll and uh, and jazz. Um, and the first one, uh, I bet a lot of people would say uh, Steely Dan uh, comes to mind. I mean, what would what would you say? Are they are they a tweener for you, or are they one or the other? Oh, well, you know, a lot of jazz people like their music. To me, they're basically a rock group that utilizes some jazz people, you know, on various records. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's, it's, it's jazz influence. Yeah. But the, the idea, you know, the definition of what jazz is, it's, it's, it's very difficult to come up with one because jazz has the most creative musicians in the world. So if you come up with a definition, they're going to immediately violate it and, you know, come up with a different way of doing it. And because jazz jazz draws its music and its influences all over the world in all different kinds of styles, uh, there's always music that's just on the borderline. You know, it could be considered jazz or world music, or maybe it's a a blues, or maybe it's rock or pop. And so so basically, you know, the, the qualities I look for in jazz is just that uh, if someone plays a song one day and if, if a week later it's exactly the same, then it's probably not so jazz oriented. If they're improvising and if they're changing uh-huh. the music and being creative, yeah. Then, but of, but of course that's really vague. So you know, I mean, yeah, I don't know why jazz always has this problem because I would think, say, country music, they, you know, they're they're not really, you know, they don't seem to have a problem over what country is or pop or rock. But jazz, they always seem to have a difficulty trying to just trying to define it. People, I don't know. People want to people want to put it, put it in a in a category. They want it. They want it. You know, clearly delineated what it is. And um, you know, you could argue that uh, bluegrass is as much jazz as jazz is, right? I mean, if you're talking about uh, trading solos, and you know, there, there's just a whole lot of commonality there. But you once said. Uh, that the best jazz is unpredictable, filled with potential danger and surprises, and is therefore endlessly exciting, uh, like watching a high wire act, uh, which I I agree with altogether. I, I'll tell you a quick quick little story. Um, I was at a club here in Chicago. You might be familiar with called the Jazz uh, Showcase, and Jeff Hamilton was uh, in town, and he was working with the. DuPaul Big Band and uh, an ensemble of maybe uh, 20 guys, uh, young players, um, you know, then he was working with them and, you know, kind of passing the torch to them, so to speak. And uh, one uh, young uh, tenor player stood up and uh, began uh, taking a couple of laps uh, in in a particular song, and he kind of uh, muffed it up. And uh, and in in the blink of an eye, I saw this happen. And this is the this is the, the high wire act part of it that I was talking about. Uh, Hamilton caught the uh, band leader's eye, and, and they waved him around again. And the kid took another couple of choruses, and uh, he found his footing, and he played beautifully. And it was just it was really wonderful to see. And it was just this generosity, and um, you know. But you put yourself out there every time you take. 
take the stand and take a solo, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's different than, say, classical, where every note's written out, and you basically know what it's going to sound yeah. like. Uh, in jazz, you know, even if it's arranged, people take solos, and it, it can be a complete flop. But most of the time, you know, it, most of the time it succeeds. And, you know, really, really the way to judge it is, is it colorful, and does it interest you, and, you know, does it hold your interest, really? And that's how yeah. you, you know, I mean, I mean, once it's above a certain level of musicianship, and, you know, they're all pretty much all great musicians to a certain extent, you know, the, the professionals, uh, then it's just a matter of colorful or is, or is it boring, you know, and if it's boring, then yeah. it's a failure and it's colorful, then it, then it succeeds. And that, that's really the way, yeah. you know, that's what I say to people that are not necessarily musicians, you know, that, that's how you judge music. It does it interest you enough, you know? Yeah. Simple as that, right? Does it, does it mm-hmm. catch you on some level? Uh, you don't have to, it doesn't have to fit in a box. Do you, do you like it? Does it catch your ear? Um, and, you know, when we think about great mu- music, uh, you know, we're, all of us on this call are big fans of the Great American Songbook. And uh, I, I have supposed uh, uh, recently that uh, that is a fluid um call it a list. I mean, I, it, it too is sort of a hard thing to define. I mean, I know it's tunes from the 20s to the 60s roughly, but uh, why must it be calendar bound? Uh, I contend that there have been many songs uh, after the 60s uh, and up to date that are that are becoming worthy of the great American songbook standards uh, in their own right. So I think it's, you know, pr- presumptuous to, to uh, box them in. Uh, w- would you agree with that? Mm-hmm. Yes, ex- except that you know it's a little more difficult for songs of today to get uh, to get heard and played by dozens of musicians. It's you know, I mean, w- what are the great songs of the last ten years? It's it's difficult, you know, because there are a lot of a lot of really good originals written by jazz musicians, but they're not necessarily covered by many others and. So it's yeah. a tricky thing because cause in the older days, you know, they would be in Broadway shows and they'd be in movies and, and you had a, a dozen really remarkable songwriters who constantly churned out all these classics. And that nowadays it's, it's, it's so scattered that, you know, if a, if a, a real good trumpeter from Finland writes a great song, you know, it might not, it might not be recorded by one, two or three people. So it's just kind of tricky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. Uh, if if the if the yardstick is number of covers, then yeah, you've got a good point. Um, I, I'm so thankful uh, to to people like uh, a mutual friend of ours, Eliza Rock. He's been on. He was on recently. Uh, he's carrying the the torch for the Great American Songbook, and in a, I think a very interesting way. I think you may have reviewed some of his works. Um, he even does one uh, with uh, Nashville musicians, and it's got a real southern twang to it, a country twang to it. And uh, by God, it works. At least it did for for Greg and I. Uh, and, and another one uh, that you may know, uh, Nina Freelon, uh, who, who is just a delight, and she does a whole lot with uh standards and she regards uh the great american songbook in the same way that uh, that, that that we do uh so yeah i think we all want to uh further it in any way that we can and open ears to uh this wonderful form of music and i know you do that uh scott probably more than any living american you are uh, banging the bell 
uh, brother. And I, I can't tell you how uh, thrilled it is for me to, you know, be able to call you a friend and, uh, you know, have you on these airwaves to promote your good works. Now and downstream, uh, we will help you. Uh, you've written 12 books. Uh, I've, I've got some ideas for, for future content if, if you're not uh, tired of writing. And uh, I, I just know there's there's so much more. Uh, you know, you wrote uh, this as your memoirs, but I, I, I presume there'll be uh, a part two to this. Uh, it, 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 I know your wife uh, suggested you write it now so you don't forget the great stories. Is, is that true? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I always tell musicians they should do that, too. You know, if you're yep. around the jazz world for a long period of time, you know, you hear a lot. You experience a lot and you hear a lot of and you hear a lot of funny stories and interesting stories along the way. And if you don't write them down, they're going to be lost. So they're that's going to be lost. Yeah. I well, mean, you're, you're, you're a vessel. Know. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, sure. Well, you know, I didn't want these stories to be completely forgotten because some of them I only experienced myself or I only remember myself, you know, at certain concerts, yeah. certain wisecracks that are made on stage and those kind of things. And <laughs> I started to write it down. And, yeah. and that way, you know, decades, decades from now, someone can, you know, look up and see what John Fatter said when Freddie Hubbard was late one time and you know those kind of things. <laughs> yes, yeah, Absolutely. And that's the delicious stuff for a you know a non-player like myself. I so wish I could play something like uh, like Greg can and like others can, and uh, uh, but I can't. So I listen. I listen with great intensity, and I and I love the I love the in-between stuff. That that that's uh, that to me is where the the marrow is. And uh, you're helping us um, uh, keep that alive. I mean, you're a vessel, uh, aren't you? When you talk to these artists. Uh, and they share a detail with you like that. I mean, uh, it, it, it could die with them unless you do something with it. So I know you, I know you get that, and I know you accept that responsibility. This book is evidence of that. And uh, like I said before, I want our listeners to uh, gobble it up. It's available on Amazon, uh, and it is just delightful. I read it in two sittings, and I kid you not, it's the life through the eyes of a jazz journalist, my jazz memoirs by Scott Yanow. And uh, you will find it there. Uh, and if you uh, uh, would like uh, to participate in our giveaway, we're going to do at least one a week uh, right up until uh, Christmas. And uh, we'll tell you how to do that uh, this week. You just need to be the first one to retweet our show link uh, after we come off air today. And uh, we will send one in your direction. But it's wonderful reading. And you will come out of it. Uh, smarter and, uh, and and uh, you know it is sad for the soul in these difficult times. I mean, I know we're all still, uh, you know, everybody's wrestling with something, and music is such a such a, a curative, uh, Scott. I think you'd agree, and for me, it is. Uh, it's a great form of therapy, and I'm so glad to have it in my life. And uh, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for what you're doing. And I'm already looking forward to uh, to part two of our visit, which will be next week at the same time. It's uh, four central. If you want to catch us live, um, I think it's two o'clock your time, Scott, uh, on the West mm-hmm. coast. Uh, and people can hear uh, this broadcast anytime after we air initially. So it's available 10 minutes after we come off today. And uh, you just go to Blog Talk, B-L-O-G-T-A-L-K, and uh, type in the Jazz Mill, and uh, you'll see all of our archives 
shows there, and uh, you can listen to any one among them. Uh, to include this one, it will be there uh, here uh, in about 25 minutes. So, uh, Scott, thank you so much for this, uh, everything I'd hoped it would be. And uh, until we speak again, uh, sir, I will, I will wish you well. Keep on swinging. I know, I know you will. Oh, sure. And, and thanks, thanks a lot for having me. And, and, you know, thanks for helping to promote jazz because the music's really for everybody. I've always thought, you know, you don't need a, you don't need a music degree to, to enjoy jazz. You, all you have to do is just have ears and open mind. You got that right. That's it takes a village. Before you go, I want to ask Scott a question. Uh, I want to make a comment real quick, and I want to ask him a question. Uh, first, sure, sure, uh, please. Uh, there's, uh, October 4th is uh, an important day because uh, – my wife's birthday is October 4th, so I wanted to ask Scott, does he remember, because I used to love this when I was growing up, uh, do you remember the Oscar Peterson show? He had his own television show with uh, Oscar mm-hmm. Peterson, of course, piano, and uh, Ray Brown, and the great Bobby Durham on drums. Do, do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Well, I saw, well, they were... They were being broadcast here in the '80s. I taped about ten of them. You know, I mean, I mean, on, oh, a, video, yeah. on a video recorder. Yeah, yeah, that was a great show because you'd always have a guest each time, and you know, there, there was some right. to see there. And Alistair Peterson was still fine at the time. So, yeah, those were great. Yeah, it was. Okay. Yeah. Okay, but I enjoyed he, he uh, was, listening he, to your stories and your point of view with 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 Jeff. I just enjoyed myself. I caught myself being a listener. And uh, just now, so uh, this whole time, so I really me enjoyed too. it. Me too. I, I me 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 too, Scott. You you you've been uh, everything we'd hoped for, and then some. So, uh, best to you, sir. Rest well, and until uh, we speak again, uh, all the best to you, sir. Okay, thanks. I look forward to it. All right, there he goes, folks. Scott, you yeah, know, well, what a treat, huh, Greg? Um, hey, uh, let's take a quick little. Uh, that was fun, wasn't it? I mean, the knowledge, he's yes, forgotten man. more during this phone call than I'll ever know, I, I suspect. <laughs> he's been talking to everybody. And he's, written, he's written for everybody. Yeah. Well, let's take a quick little break, and when we come back, uh, we'll, we'll do a little jazz flashback, and we've got a, a new segment, uh, questions and, and comments from our listeners, which I think people are going are gonna to want to hear. We, we're, we're, we're listening, folks. We're listening, so stay, stay tuned. Now, a quick word from our sponsors. Stay tuned. If you dig what you're hearing, friends, why not pick up some Jazz Mill and Soul Message Band merchandise? High-quality mugs and tees that are certain to make you the happiest cat around. Just take out your phone, ease on over to thejazzmill.net, click on the Swag tab, and get your order down. It's quick, it's simple, it's safe, and your satisfaction is 100% guaranteed. Portion sales help jazz musicians against cancer the Multiple Sclerosis Association of America and the ASPCA. Welcome back for more great music and lively discussion on the Jazz Mill with your host, Scott Henderson. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Greg, it's time again for Jazz Flashback. We look back at our history and uh, uh, pay tribute to those that have uh, come before us. Uh, what do you have for us, friend? Okay. Uh, today uh, in jazz history, uh, Sonny Rollins recorded 
a night at the village vanguard with uh, oh, yeah. the yeah. great yeah. Elvin yeah. Jones and Wilbur Ware. Also, uh, bassist uh, Henry Grimes, uh, his birthday was today in 1935. He was born in uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And Scott, this is I'll one especially for you. This is especially for you. Um, <laughs> right. And I thought right. about you, and this is, he I did? picked this one for you. I sure did. <laughs> Fats Waller recorded. <laughs> Fats Waller recorded, Yo Feet's Too Big. <laughs> <laughs> That's for you. I got that one for you. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? And, uh, right. And I want, yeah, I want you to know it's yo y o feet f e e t s too big. Feet. Yo feet too yeah. big. That's especially for you, there, buddy. I gotta find that. I gotta have. A, I gotta have a copy of that, man. That sounds like a real winner. Oh, that's hysterical. Uh, there used to be a song called. Uh, uh, had the had the name of the lady Caldonia. You remember that song, Caldonia? What makes your oh. big head so hard? Do you remember that one? Does that <laughs> yes, ring a bell? Sure do. Yeah. And, and yeah I, I forget I how was, it goes, but it, but it was but it was but it was uh, she sleeps in the she sleeps in the with, it, with it head in the kitchen and her feet feet's out in the hall or something like that. It was a clever little error. <laughs> maybe it's the same. Maybe it's the same damn too. And I don't know. We actually had a dog named Caldonia. We liked it so much. We oh, named really? our, our, our 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 cocker spaniel after that uh, that that tune. Well, <laughs> good stuff. Thank you for sharing those, Greg. Uh, we we've got listener questions and comments and voicemails, and people are. Uh, it tells me that we're catching on. You know, we've got new listeners in uh, in France and Brazil and Japan and Thailand. A lot of folks uh, in the states, as you might expect, but. Uh, we are we are catching on internationally, which always tickles me. Uh, we can we can see that in our uh, in our in our mapping and in our show tracking, and uh, it's just uh, it's just a fun thing to to see to think that we're you know uh, uh, being heard somewhere in, in in Brazil, sunny Brazil right now. Um, one of the questions, uh, Greg, that we got. Uh, was I wish you'd take requests uh, or dedications and or dedications, uh, will you? And I think the answer should be yes to that, don't you? I certainly agree. If, I certainly if agree. People, if people like a particular tune and they want to hear it by, by George, I don't see why we couldn't uh, carve out a little bit of time uh, for, for just exactly that. Um, Another listener uh, asks uh, when we will have uh, Nina Freelon on again. She was a delight, this, this listener says. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Nina will be joining us um, for our Christmas special. Uh, we're going to play her uh, wonderful Christmas holidays uh, album, CD, record um, on the 22nd of December. So you'll want to mark your calendars for that. Uh, we'll be promoting that ahead of air, of course. Um, and uh, someone asked uh, here, Greg, uh, why isn't Elijah Rock playing giant venues with his kind of talent? He ought to be. And boy, do I agree with that. Uh, he, he has uh, every bit of uh, the skill set of a Michael Bublé or a uh, Harry Connick Jr. I mean, this this guy uh, I think is going to take off, and uh, you know I'm proud to have had him on uh, our broadcast here. And uh, he's just got that it factor, don't don't you think, Greg? Yeah, I think so. And uh, I'm trying to do my part uh, 
because he's first of all he's such a, a a wonderful guy, such a nice guy, and uh, yeah, totally. Also, uh, I'm trying to pull some interest uh, in Chicago. As some, he he deserves to be here in Chicago, and I've been talking to some people, and you know, I I, I wish I could do more. But uh, with, you know, club owners, uh, they're club owners, and they know what they want. And sometimes uh, it's just hard to nail them down. And and not that uh, uh, the club owners here wouldn't want Elijah. I just want to make sure that they listen or uh, they take the time because they get thousands and thousands of bookings. But this this guy is special. And... All they have to do is sit down and just uh, listen uh, and check out his website, and then no more talking has to be done. He'll sell himself. But just, Couldn't agree just more. to get make make sure that uh, uh, they would make up their own mind and, and he would be here in Chicago. But I'm not going to stop yeah. until uh, I see uh, Elijah here in Chicago because he definitely deserves it. So whoever yeah. said that, I could I couldn't agree more. Yeah, that was uh, that was Stephen Cleveland uh, that uh, heard the show, and uh, I think he uh, is is has is already a fan uh, to be sure, and he thinks he's worthy of, of much much bigger venues. Uh, now he's playing some nice some nice spaces, but uh, you know you look at uh, I hate to pick on Buble, but he's he's filling up. Uh, not stadiums, but they're, you know, 10,000 seaters and above. And I just see that for Elijah. I think he's got that kind of star power and he treats his songs vocally uh, a little different than everybody else too. I mean, there's a, there's a little, a little quiver in his, his approach to them that I think is really interesting and uh, refreshing. I mean, everybody's kind of covering them the same way it seems like, but uh, he's got a little different angle on it and he's not, averse to trying some uh, different instrumentation, which uh, evidenced in that, uh, that uh, uh, one he cut from Nashville, which we played a few, few tracks from. Uh, so, yeah, well, that's great, Greg. I would, uh, believe me, I'll be in the front row of that, that show when, whenever it gets booked, believe me, uh, I'll be there. Um, and then we had uh, someone, uh, this is Catherine from Miami. She says, I'd like to nominate John Armado for the best beard in jazz. <laughs> and he does have a sweet, he does have a sweet ass beard. I'll tell you, uh, you look at his, uh, his, his, his head shots and man, that thing is, that thing is gorgeous. It's just, it's perfect. It ain't a hair out of place. I wish I could do that. I can't though. I can't do it. I can't do it. Mine just, mine just doesn't yeah. throw in right. Uh, and then uh, lastly, want to encourage people to, to write in freely uh, with your questions and comments. We're always looking to, to improve and bring you more value. But uh, it, it, someone remembered, uh, says you, you teased it last week. Uh, so when are we going to hear your Hank Stram imitation? And for those of you who don't know who Hank Stram is, he was the uh, Kansas City Chief. Uh, uh, head coach back in the, the 60s and early 70s, and he was a, a funny little character. He was a little short man, and he'd twitchy, and he'd, he'd charge around the sideline, and he was super animated. And he was uh, mic'd up for the first Super Bowl by uh, NFL Films, and they caught all of his 
uh, carry it on on the sidelines. And uh, I, I suggested that I do a, a, a bad imitation of him. And, uh, and it looks like somebody here wants me to do it. I don't know if I should or not. Greg, what do you okay. think? Okay. So we're going to end this show. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now, I want to hear that. I want to. Now, I want to hear that Im- hear it, imitation. Right? Come on. Come on. Now okay. I got right. let me, let me, to hear it. I want to hear it. Give me a second. See, I got I to gotta shake that off. I got I to gotta, I gotta get into character here for a second. Just give me just give What's me, it give letting me you get away without doing that? Give me that. <laughs> we got to hear that. <laughs> All right. My, my imitation of Hank Stram uh, goes something like this. Okay, Lenny, they couldn't stop us with a Mack truck. Just give them the old spinner, kid. Pop it right in there. Yeah, that's the ticket. <laughs> and that's it. And that's it. That's that's my stram. That's my stram. That was great. great. If it, that was great. Listen, if, if it sounds as good <laughs> on the air as it does in my head, uh, I'm on to something. I, I might be on That was great. I don't know. I, I can't play an instrument, but maybe I could take this this, uh, this 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 Hank Stram thing on the road. Who knows? Who knows? Well, Greg, no, that was great. Uh, again, <laughs> that was great. That Pump was it great. right in there, Lenny. Get in the old spinner, kid. Don't <laughs> that was great. You sound like two don't different people. Me, That's don't great. get me started, Susan. My poor wife. I mean, I I slip into characters sometimes, and it's not so easy to get out of them. You know what I mean? I'm I'm, I'm walking around the house and. In uh, Hank Stram character, and she, bless her heart, she should she should get a medal or something. But uh, hey, listen. Uh, well, that was appreciate- great, Scott. That was great. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Uh, you're, too, you're too you're too kind, sir. You're too kind. Uh, <laughs> hey, Scott no, Yano. Scott <laughs> Scott Yano was terrific. <laughs> uh, you too, Greg. Uh, awesome today, and uh, of course, uh, we want to thank our listeners for tuning in this time and every time to the Jazz Mill. Uh, if you dig it, folks, tell your friends about us, won't you, please? Uh, Greg, uh, signing off here, uh, uh, I'm going to play a little uh, little of uh, uh, Ramsey Lewis's Satin Doll. I think this is a particularly nice uh, version of that, and uh, uh, I'll play our listeners out. Uh, keep swinging, folks. I know that you will.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.